3: Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Books in Religion on the New Books Network. Thank you for joining me today. I'm your host, Irene Pramod, from the University of Michigan.
0: And I'm your host, byung Choi, from Princeton Theological Seminary.
3: And today we'll be discussing *Butanage: The Art of Religious Mobility*, which is a book authored by Yonatan Gez, um, Ian Ivan Dro, Jean Ray, and Edio Suárez, and published by University of Toronto Press in 2021. It's a groundbreaking bro- book that describes the everyday mobility of religious life across anglophone, lusophone, and francophone traditions. Um, and today, we have the privilege of speaking with um, three of the authors, Yonatan Ghez, Yon-Dro, and Jean-Ray, authors of Bhutanage, The Art of Religious Mobility.
0: And as we begin to introduce the authors, our first author that I would like to introduce is Dr. Yonatan Ghez, um, who is the Humboldt Fellow at the arnold Burgerstrasser Institute and a Research Associate at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva. In addition to religion, his academic interests also include international development, well-being and self-accomplishment and education. His research focuses on Eastern Africa. And um, in addition to Bhutanaj, uh, the very book that we'll be talking about today, he also published the monograph titled Traditional Churches, Born-Again Christianity, and Pentecostalism, uh, Religious Mobility and Religious Repertoires in Urban Kenya, uh, published in, uh, by Paul mcgrath in 2018. He also published a, a couple of journal articles that I would like to mention, and it's co-authored with Nadia Vidir and Helga Dickwell, um titled African and Not Religious, The State of Research on Sub-Saharan Religious Nuns and New Scholarly Horizons, published in the Journal of Africa Spectrum in 2021, and a journal publication titled The Vetting Impasse, The Church's Laws, Uh, and Kenya's religious regulation debate published in 2021 in the Journal of Religion in Africa.
3: Um, The second author that we have with us today is Dr. Ivan Bro, who is senior lecturer in anthropology at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva, Switzerland. He's worked intensively on religious mobility in Kenya, Brazil, and Switzerland, and on the transformations of family co- configurations and of masculinities and femininities in Switzerland. Um, I'd just like to highlight two of his most recent publications, which is uh, one in 2019, which is a collaborative project on Pentecostalism and Alternative Paths for Self-Accomplishment in Kenya, published in Religion and Human Security in Africa um, and edited by Ezra Shitando and Joram Torres and published by Rutledge, Um, and the most very recent uh, publication from 2021, um, which is a co-authored article with Jonathan Gehrs and others, titled Christian Forms of Religion in Kenya, published in Kenya in Motion.
0: Our third author um, that I'll be introducing to you is uh, Dr. John Ray is a professor at the University of Teacher Education in Freiburg and a research associate at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva. John has a background in anthropology and education, and she has studied mobility trajectories in various contexts, um, in particular at the intersection of different types of mobility. So, for example, migration in religious, uh, professional, or educational mobility. She has also conducted field research in Western Europe, West Africa, specifically Ghana, and North America, and has a special interest for transnational social fields and mobility networks. She currently engages in teacher education and building on these questions in order to support teachers' professional development. Um, some of her publications that I would like to also highlight um, is a book that she has written, a, monog- a French edition monograph. Um, the English title is African Mig um, my- Migration and Pentecostalism in Switzerland, Ritual Devices, Powers and Mobility, published by Carthala in 2019, and a journal article co-authored with Matthew Bolay and Jonathan Gez, titled Cosmopolitan Enclaves, Spatial and Cultural Under Privilege in Education, uh, Expatriation, and Globalization, published in the Journal of Critique of Anthropology in 2021.
3: And last but not least, um, there, um, the fourth author, who unfortunately um, isn't able to join us today, but um, he's Dr. Dio Suarez, as uh, a research associate at the Graduate Institute of International and Development Studies in Geneva. But um, yeah, welcome, and Gez, Yvonne Dro, and Jean Ray um, to New Books and Religion. And thank you so much for taking the time today to talk about your book and to discuss it with us. Thank, thank you, thank
4: you much very everyone. much.
3: Yeah, thank, thank you. you to you. Um, so before we delve into your book, um, into the chapters, um, I wonder if we can first get to know of you a little bit more. Um, and so would you mind telling us a bit about your personal backgrounds, for instance, where um, you did your PhDs, your research um, interests, the kinds of the places that you're interested in working in and that you have worked in, and what led you to come together to write this book? And so, Yanathan, would you like to start us off?
2: Um, sure. So um, my, my personal background uh, is that I grew up in Israel, and that's an interesting country uh, to think about religion in. Uh, religion is very Inescapable, there's a social and political power, and um, I always loved the poetics of uh, the old Hebrew in the Bible. And um, remember, in high school, when we learned a little bit about Christianity, and our teacher said, you know, Jesus lived and died as a as a Jewish person, and the whole uh, Jesus story is was an an internal Jewish. Uh, drama, as it were, uh, at the time. So I I remember uh, reflecting a lot on that. And then I went on to study religion, first at Tel Aviv University, and then I went to the University of Cambridge. And um, some years after, when I turned to do my PhD at the Graduate Institute, um, in development studies under Ivan Dros uh, supervision, I uh, tried to distance myself from uh, religion somewhat. I focused on in development studies, uh, but in 2010, I uh, uh, Ivan admitted me to uh, the project on boutinage, and uh, the rest is history. Um, and I I think that I would add that two personal academic factors kind of inform my work on on boutinage that maybe is is interesting to note. One is that I did my PhD, as I said, on in development studies. So I've always been interested in looking for the wider social political. Economic um, context uh, in which religion takes place. So you can see in the book, for example, some allusions to questions of fundamentalism that um, I, I think draw also uh, not just on my own, but also my colleagues' interest in uh, in, in development and uh, in in social uh, configurations more broadly. And the second factor is that because I kind of come from both humanities and social sciences, I always. I think kind of uh combine that in into my work. So um literature, for example, literary sources I've often uh, I often use them to enrich my perspective and um uh, I try to merge uh humanities and social sciences in my work.
3: And Ivan, since you know you've been spearheading this project, would you like to add on to that?
4: Well, yes, I did my PhD at the University of Neuchâtel in Switzerland in social anthropology. Uh, And then uh, I was hired in Geneva and I worked there for 25 years now uh, as a social anthropologist. Uh, First, I did my PhD in, in Kenya. Uh, among rural migrants in the center, of, c- center in the center of kenya and uh, then when doing my fieldwork i noticed that uh, some of the some of the respondents they didn't want to speak to me because they were it was uh, Uh, 94, 95, and they were expecting the second, the return of Christ, and they thought that the millennium will be very, very close. And then I was really, um, really amazed by such a kind of discourse. Then I decided to work on Pentecostalism and Millenarianism. And Following that, also with Edio, who, Edio Soares, who did uh, his PhD on butinage in Brazil. Uh, we decided to, to submit a research project to the Swiss National Science Foundation. And we got it finally, and then we were able to hire Jonathan and later on Jan. And we, I think, we did quite an interesting work uh, by comparing the situation in Brazil, in Kenya, in Ghana, and in in uh, Switzerland. Also, we stayed in, within the realm of uh, Christianity because uh, I, we thought it was easier to compare different way of um, practicing. Christianity than to go all over the world in different uh, religious contexts, which might be very different. And indeed, the, the four uh, field work we, we conducted were very different, but at the same time similar, which means that uh, we tried to highlight the similarity the similarities, but also to to highlight uh, the the very specificities of each context. But I think we will be able to speak a little more about that. Beside that, um, I'm where I work quite quite a lot among the Swiss, French, and Quebecian peasants, which is which has nothing to do with religion, but it's always interesting to articulate two different perspectives. And well, it's always social anthropology, and it's always. A passion.
3: And finally, Jean, would you um, also like to maybe tell us just a few words about you know how you came to this project and and um, where you did your PhD and a few words about yourself? Yes,
1: with pleasure. Um, So I was a PhD student at the Graduate Institute in Geneva, and uh, my supervisor for my PhD was actually uh, Yvonne Leroux. And so when I finished my PhD, which was on the transnationalization of African churches, and I conducted two different field works uh, on two different sites in Switzerland and in Ghana. So Yvonne offered me to, to join the project at that moment. And I was very enthusiastic about it. So it became part of my postdoctoral project, which I... Uh, conducted at the University of Toronto uh, from 2013 onward. So I think for me it was very interesting to join the project because I had had an interest in mobility and religion before for my PhD thesis, but here there was a different approach and a new perspective. Uh, So it was not mobility in the sense of migration and geographical mobility, but rather mobility within the um, uh, in, within the religious uh, context and practice, uh, while the practitioner's mind remain in the same location. So that um, shift in perspective was very stimulating for me. So this is why I joined the project.
0: Well, um, thank you so much for all of you for introducing yourself and to for this opportunity to get to know you uh, better um, as we kind of now segue into the book itself. Um, Looking at the book, the, uh, the beginning chapters, we can see that there's a total of nine chapters, uh, which are divided into uh, three parts. Um, Part one is rethinking religious normativity, um, which highlights uh, your arguments uh, concerning the dynamics of religious identity. And part two is more focused on the case studies, uh, presents four predominantly Christian case studies that take us into an in-depth look into the four nations. I think um, some of you mentioned Brazil, Kenya, Ghana, and Switzerland, and the commonalities of the patterns of uh, religious mobility. And lastly, part three uh, is titled "Beyond the Metaphor," which, in a way, offers a synthesis and a tentative path for uh, systemizing and uh, the theoretical innovations are as extracted from the case studies themselves. So um, it is here. That I also want to like to briefly extend my appreciation to our authors uh, today for providing our readers with the interview guide in the appendix towards the end, uh, in which scholars and students who are interested in doing similar research or field work can surely, I think, benefit from this. And um, what I also found very interesting from the very start of this book is how you begin by uh, zooming in on the life of James, um, a Kenyan who is well-traveled and whose religiosity has been filled with the dynamics of everyday religious practice. And um, through James's case study, we were able to see that this is a common thread you have also found in your ethnographic uh, research, um, which we will discuss more later. But um, and how you all aim to argue in this book that, quote, um, religious identity often extends far beyond exclusive institutional ideal type members and generates fluid, circumstantial, and somewhat personalized religious identities, end quote. So here you propose to rethink the religious practitioner as fundamentally mobile. And this is all done under the notion of religious um, as a kind of like an overarching uh, conceptual framework for your book. Um, in doing a close reading of chapter one, um, I noticed that you purposefully kind of chose this concept to also kind of promote a shift away uh, from the theologically loaded terminologies to a more comprehensive and a more inclusive uh, perspective. So my first question to our authors uh, today is for our listeners who might not be as familiar with the, this word Um, I was wondering if you... Could all expound on this concept? How do you, you know, envision this boutonage metaphor? And if I may ask, Yvonne, would you like to begin our answers?
4: In fact, it was a, a kind of a collective work we we has been doing. Uh, Edio Soares on I, and because he was studying in Joinville in Brazil for his PhD and we thought it was a good idea to to use the metaphor of the bees when they are harvesting uh, some pollens and other stuff to to create honey. We thought that uh, the religious uh, practitioner was uh, somebody similar to the bees and they were uh, taking some um, well uh, some elements among the candomblé in Brazil, or they were going to a, a Pentecostal church at the same time in, in a way or during the same week, but there was no problem for them. They were creating their own honey through practicing different religious um, different religions. And we thought that this was a good way to to switch from an institutionalist perspective on religion. Then after that, we used the metaphor uh, very cautiously to try to get away from a theological perspective because we thought that it was very important from um, an anthropological point of view to to have some uh, following Durkheim's um, hint, to to have some um, new words or very controlled words to try to capture what was the practices or the religious practices or how people were behaving when doing religion in a way, like uh, the lived religion perspective. But I think maybe Jonathan Ann, or Jan can uh, add also some, something about the, the butinage perspective. On mm-hmm. I can come back later on if necessary. Sure, maybe I would uh, chime mm-hmm. in. Um, So
2: I, as was said earlier, I've joined the project after it was already conceived and funded and after Soares has completed an excellent uh, doctoral thesis on the topic, uh, looking uh, at the city of uh, Joinville in the south of Brazil. And for me, the most invigorating part of this concept was the invitation that it implied to think of identities religious identities but perhaps even beyond that as inherently and normatively dynamic so to think about how we are always in a sense in between we never a full and perfect reflection of what institutions or others or perhaps we ourselves expect ourselves to be right Um, so this is one place where uh, I was already mentioning my interest also how to link it with development and, uh, and, and power structures, because this is this is one place where you can already start thinking about um, how external powers are exer- exerting uh, themselves on us. Right. And how social and religious institutional powers seek to uh, normalize us, uh, to uh, demand us to conform and maybe even to make claims on behalf of an imagined congregation that exists or does not. And I think this also leads, I think, to reflecting more widely and more fundamentally about the subtler ex- expectations uh, to be to be stable, right? I think this is a, a larger lesson that's related to the to the uh, concept that we've also uh, explored in our article in Current Anthropology in 2017. The way that we kind of tend to privilege and positively connotate that which is stable, right, is, is supposedly more mature if you think about the agricultural revolution, right, and how we tend to think about this. Um, but this is also a contested issue. And I think through the project, I get to think a lot about, um, about the, the privileging of, of the stable. Perhaps one last thing in regard to this, I was thinking also about um, a, a project that um, um, Jeanne has uh, been um, leading uh, with regard to education and uh, uh, international schools. Um, and the question of mobility in the context of, of education, the context of uh, neoliberal uh, the neoliberal economy, right? I mean, on the one hand uh, there are complaints about precarity, on the other hand, we've got a lot of people who are enjoying or supposedly enjoying the, the gig economy. They feel that they have more freedoms and all that. So I, I think in subtle ways, uh, this kind of dissociation from uh, or, or, or exercise in dissociating ourselves from uh, the uh, fixation on fixedness, as it were, um, is, I think, uh, kind of an interesting and worthwhile exercise, especially in in this day and age. But I wonder what Jan also uh, uh, has to add to this.
1: Yes, I think you're you're um, you're right, Jonathan. That uh, this this shift away from from this fixedness fixedness um, of the of the of uh, people who are located in one single place and belong to one single religious um, uh, congregation or religious community that is a very important uh, aspect which is uh, central in the concept of butinage. Uh, and also what Yvonne said previously to leave the theological perspective uh, which is a, a very important thing. I, I would like to stress maybe another aspect which seems to me is, is very important in this concept of bichinage. It's the, the the fact that mobility, religious mobility, becomes a kind of a, a normal practice, uh, and everyday, belongs to everyday life, and that allows to reframe uh, religious mobility um, and detach it from from as if it were something exceptional no it's not really exceptional it's uh, but there's this assumption of exceptionality of like in the concept of conversion for example where you assume that there is a, a radical shift from from one religion to to another and that only happens maybe one time in a life in a life course so this concept of butinage is certainly uh, interesting to highlight the the um, trivial dimension, maybe, of religious mobility.
3: Yeah, and, and a question that I have that goes directly back to what you were talking about, Jean, is, is this concept of conversion, as you understand it in the book, vis-a-vis the concept of uh, botanage, Um, because, you know, I suppose within the whole anthropology of Christianity, anthropology of religion, conversion has had this naughty relationship with ideas of rupture and a kind of permanent break with the past. Um, And so in this chapter, in chapter two specifically, you trace um, the kind of history of this term conversion uh, um, as it has evolved as it has taken shape over the past century, um, as well as the limits of this conceptual framework as it is of conversion as traditionally understood. And you explore how ideas of religious syncretism or mixing as it were, um, how these concepts, how they brush past and even sometimes ignore the shiftiness and in-betweenness between, in and the non fixness as you call it, of everyday live religion, of moving to and from often in, incommensurable religious practices and life roles um, without, however, you know, just merging it all under one without, because there are these distinct sort of... Um, territories, as we'll come to later, between these different religious life worlds. And I was wondering if you could tell us more and talk us through how you understand this term, conversion, um, in the book, um, in terms of retenage and also in terms of how it's conventionally been understood um, and what, what you seek to offer us um, in kind of in juxtaposition, in juxtaposition against all those histories. Yes, you're not in.
2: So, as has uh, been alluded uh, by by both uh, Jeannin and, and Irene thereafter, um, we are very careful uh, about the use of uh, the, the term uh, conversion for the reasons that uh, you've just un- outlined, right? Uh, uh, both within um, traditional theological thinking as well as within research. I'm thinking about you know William James, for example. Um, Conversion is very much associated with some transform- radical transformation, right? Jean said maybe once in a lifetime, uh, sometimes not at all, right? A kind of a spiritual awakening, uh, seeing the truth as, uh, in, in, in some way. Um, and as Jean said, and I, I, I completely agree, it, uh, what we are studying is often a lot more trivial in nature a lot more mundane, right? Everyday mobility, lived religion. Um, uh, we, we we certainly belong to that uh, paradigm um, that, that is very much growing. Um, I'll give you an example. I have, uh, let's say I am uh, on, on some uh, business uh, trip and I'm moving to another city for the week and there's a church there and it doesn't belong to um, my, um, my 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 home uh, affiliation, where I see myself a member, but I am there, so maybe I would uh, participate, right? Um, and also, even under uh, conditions that would appear perhaps more radical, right? Uh, um, such as when someone, for example, gets gets married, right? And say uh, in, in Kenya, where I did my PhD, it's more common for the uh, for the wife to move to her. Uh, husband's uh, church, even though women often are more practicing, so it creates interesting tensions. Um, but that, say, woman who uh, um, marries into someone's church and moves to his church, uh, I think it would be wrong to assume that she, uh, and certainly that's not what I've seen, that she would uh, erase undo. All the ties, all the residues, personal, psychological, but also very practical, that she has maintained with, say, the traditional tradition of her of, of her birth, of her upbringing. Right when she comes to, goes to village, to the village to to visit uh, her family, when she uh, meets uh, with her sister in town, with our family functions, etc. Uh, she might revert, as it were, uh, to uh, other practices that she uh, has uh, held before. Right. Um, So she might still maintain some ties with tradition of her birth. And therefore, the the concept of uh, conversion and its radical iteration just doesn't uh, fit, I think, with the kind of way that most people live their lives. Hence, our attempt to develop a paradigm that will take in this newness without necessarily abandoning the old. That's what we're trying to do. And I think we'll later get to the notion of, of religious repertoires, which is how we kind of... We build it gradually throughout the book, right? Um, and it's exactly a response to this challenge. How well? How do you conceptualize when someone is moving from A to B, and uh, and, and even as um, A still has some kind of a place, right? It might reemerge. It would be wrong to uh, completely um, undo it and say that it it no longer is a factor in that person's uh, identity.
3: Okay. Absolutely. And um, Jean, do you want to, would you like to add anything to that? Um, because I know I know you've already invoked it before, but if you, if you have anything else you'd like to add? Yes, maybe what I can briefly mention
1: is that in the book, there's a, we sketch a, a brief genealogy of the, the concept of conversion, uh, which is one of the major uh, concepts that has been used to describe religious mobility in previous scholarships. So, um So conversion, depending on the disciplinary background, might be be framed in terms of uh, a change in faith, uh, change in relationships and life habits, change of worldview, or maybe um, in relation to um, psychological factors, like uh, depending on the disciplinary background, um, theology, sociology, or psychology. So um, but I think it's important that what um, Jonathan say that that we what from what we observed in terms of of data in terms of field research which we did um, we we didn't really found this this uh, radical uh, concept and model of of um, conversion which implies um, a total shift in religious practice but we have developed uh, another uh, concept which is probably um, the closest to the, that one of, of conversion. And that's the idea of diachronic butinage. So diachronic butinage, we use that in the sense that there, there might be a change in practice over time that might go hand in, hand in hand with a change in, in one's main affiliation, religious affiliation or in one's um, religious belonging. So, so this shift happens, but it's just not a, a, a radical shift that, that erase all the all the practice and all the um, the familiarity which was there before. So yes,
3: absolutely. Um, and um, Ivan, would you? Um...
4: Well, I don't have a lot to add. Just to say to that, um, in fact, uh, we we felt very uh, not very comfortable with the 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 concept of conversion. Religious mobility is okay. Diachronic uh, butinage is okay also because uh, when we observe what people are saying and doing, in fact, uh, they they do not change from one religious form to another one. They add a new one, maybe they change it, but it's a kind of articulation, a mixture. It is nothing syncretic. But uh, Roger Bastide had the um, French anthropologist who worked in Brazil, had the, the, well, suggested the the concept of um, uh, syncretism in mosaic. I don't know how you call it in English, but it should be something similar, which means that he observed in the 50s and 60s in Brazil that the people, they were going to Candomblé and then to the Catholic church, then to another kind of a religious form. And, but the, the, they had the same faith in these different form and the same seriousness in their faith. And that was not a problem for them and not to be coherent like a theologian would like which means that that's why we we try to highlight and to deconstruct, which is not a novelty, to deconstruct the the concept of of conversion. And I think this notion of a kind of syncretism in mosaic uh, like different uh, part of uh, a picture is quite a a good one to think of um, conversion.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your answers, and it's very helpful as I believe chapters one and two really helps us put a strong foundation to understanding your book. And for our listeners, I would like to re-emphasize the aspect that chapters one and two really—if if we were to compare your book to building a house, it's—it's it's that foundation layer um, and helping us understand what comes next. Which in chapters three and uh, beginning chapters three, we see um, the next four chapters, uh, um, our authors delving into. Uh, the case studies. And as I just mentioned, these case studies, our, author, our authors are individually and as a group are uh, contributing uh, to the book itself. And if it's all right with the three of you, Irene and I have prepared separate questions uh, regarding your individual and group contributions. And I would like to kind of begin by directing the questions, the first question uh, regarding the case study to Yvonne and Yonatan. And Before we take a closer look at the fourth chapter, I do want to briefly comment on chapter three uh, titled Neighborliness uh, as a driver for mobility in Brazil. Um, this was, I think, more focused on Edio Suarez's work, uh, who was unable to join with uh, us today. But um, it, this chapter provides an in-depth study into the context of Brazil, and more specifically, the highly mobile behavior of the people of Joinville, um, in which I believe was also Edio's uh, native city. And um, how the religious practitioners um, practice largely centers around social art logic and the social ties uh, within their immediate neighborhood but um, we want to address uh, now look we want to look into chapter four and on the case study of Kenya and I was really quite fascinated by this close examination on their everyday religious boutonage in urban Kenya as this chapter begins by providing the readers with the religious landscape of the predominantly Christian uh, country of Kenya and how religion plays a paramount role in the national ethos. Um, but what struck me as, uh, was the section on um, this return mobility. I think we've mentioned several times, our authors men- mentioned several times about this notion of return mobility. And I thought it was rather unique because you delineated how return mobility is indeed a common feature of Kenyans. Uh, live religion. And it is here, I would like to pose the next question to you, Yvonne and Yonatan. Um, if you mind talking more on this notion of return mobility, and if you could elaborate more uh, on what this means and how you employ this term in the case of Kenya. And if I may briefly squeeze in one more question here, is that as you both participated in the field work with Edio and Joinville as well, um, in which uh, is covered in chapter three, I was curious to know um, if you find any d- distinct similarities as well or differences between the context of Joinville and Nairobi in regards to this notion of return mobility, so if I may ask, Jonathan, would you like to uh, begin the answer? Uh, sure. Yeah, I I could uh, I could start. Um, so
2: the first. Distinction, I think you said so nicely um, that uh, um, we're building this as a as a as a building or as a as a tower, as a uh, as a light tower, perhaps. Uh, hopefully, um, but uh, the, the, the first step, I think, before we talk about return mobility, is to think about. A an omnipresent distinction uh, that, I- indeed, we have attributed to the, we have discussed in the context of the chapter on Kenya, but really pervades, I think, other contexts as well, which was just very prominent in Kenya. And that is the distinction between membership and visits, or center and periphery, or at some point, we also refer to it as a, as a pivot, right? A, a kind of a, a central affiliation that one has uh, formal or fem- semi-formal, that matters less, right? That is kind of the core of where uh, they they belong or feel that they belong or perceive to belong, and then additional secondary practices. And most Kenyans, um, as we show in that chapter. Um, uh, kind of has, have this uh, uh, complementary uh, um, um, structure of, uh, of religious practice. So there's a single place where they see themselves as members, and then they've got multiple more exploratory and secondary uh, practices that they embark on from time to time, some more regularly than, than others. Um, and and we discussed this distinction in the Kenyan chapter because it is really in Kenya that we saw this, emerging more uh, intuitively, um, and and it's something that uh, kind of everyone evokes. So that was uh, a good foundation for us to start thinking um, about how we how we approach the question. Now, this dual system seems very simple, but it's also very interesting, because it points to the possibility of maintaining multiple engagements, right? Something that, to my knowledge, is often Understudied, under theorized uh, in, in scholarly works, um, creating this hierarchy. Uh, so, interviewees would sometimes admit that they would be interested in familiarizing themselves with another denomination, another religion, but they would say, I would only go there for a visit, right? So, in a way, it's almost a kind of a protective thing to say, Well, you know, I'm, I'm not going to mix too much, but I am curious um, and, and I would like to go, I would like to participate up to a point. So the fact that religious visits also are an established social institutions, then that's something that Ivan and I have explored in a in an article that we wrote in two thousand seventeen uh, called the the, steal, the the sheep stealing uh, dilemma, uh, the Journal of uh, Religion in Africa. Um, th- that that moment of religious visits, um, um, church visits, and, and and other places of uh, of worship, um, helps. To kind of uh, get to know, to familiarize oneself uh, with with a new with a new place, um, and, and and I think we'll talk about familiarity a little bit more um, in a bit. Now, alongside this basic and complementary uh, dual system, we also noted that many people abandoned their traditions but end up returning to it later on. That came up a lot, as you said, in the Kenyan case, and. Um, there has in fact been very little written on return mobility. Some in the literature, there's a bit on uh, deconversion, for example, I just published an article on return mobility in Kenya this year. Um, so this is a theme that um, um, I think is, is quite interesting to explore. It helps us to comprehend the ongoing relevance of people's often invisible religious histories, right? Um, so going beyond a kind of a, a binarism of either practiced or unpracticed. We have to take into consideration a person's biography because that which has formally been dropped might uh, um, get reactivated as as it were, right? And this raises a lot of methodological and epistemological questions. Um, um, Yeah, and I I would add to this also that once we begin to acknowledge return mobility and think about it as its own category, as opposed to just another 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 type of mobility, or uh, you know, just mo- like mobility like any other, it, then it's interesting to 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 see how where it can take us. For example, um, we are used to talking by now on uh, about processes of Pentecostalization, right? Um, certainly in 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 Africa, we see that in Latin America, in other places. Pentecostalization but return but through the notion of, of return mobility we can perhaps start thinking about how people also uh, revert return um, perhaps they have uh, shifted to Pentecostal churches um, um, in Kenya I've seen that many times um, when they were uh, young and perhaps later when uh, they wish to kind of settle down they return to uh, the Church of uh, their upbringing a mainline Protestant or, or, or Catholic. Um, Yeah, so this kind of reverting raises questions about personal attachment and social context and social pressures, and uh, the question of unidirectionality of Pentecostal conversions and born again conversions uh, in particular. uh, And and that raises a lot of interesting questions.
0: Thank you for that answer. Uh, Yvonne, would you like to also add um, to this question?
4: The importance of place Places, neighborhood, but because um, in fact uh, that's what we we observed in Brazil and in Kenya uh, when people are moving uh, when they are going back up country to to their own village they go back to their previous religion and they practice it and there is no problem at all and when they the um, Go down to Nairobi, to the capital, then they switch to a Pentecostal church or an, uh, an Anglican one, etc. And also, depending on the location of the church building itself, because it is easier to, to go just uh, in the neighborhood than to, to cross the, the whole uh, city of Nairobi, for example. And Edio highlighted also the importance of neighborhood, of the neighbors because it's just politeness to accept to visit the church of your neighbor. Then you, you you just go, even if you if you are a strong Pentecostalist and uh, you go to a Catholic church, which where you shouldn't go. But it uh, you you have to be polite with your neighbor, and you can enjoy also the, the, the some specificities of the Catholic services, which means I think this the what we noticed in Brazil was especially this notion of neighborhoods, and this notion of of politeness to to be to be polite with your neighbor. Or you follow her or him uh, in, uh, in his church or her church, and the, there is no problem at all. It is considered as to- totally normal. And with this uh, the return mobility, which what um, which um, the return mobility uh, which uh, Jonathan mentioned before, uh, it was much more in Kenya when people were going back to their home place. And there we noticed that in fact, well, it was not a problem at all to participate to a Catholic service, even if you were a Pentecostal in Nairobi or, in a, or an Anglican one. And I think this, uh, this uh, notion is quite important also when, when thinking of uh, religious mobility in itself.
3: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for that. And I suppose my next question, it, um, it's directed more so towards uh, Jean uh, and your research in Ghana, um, which is in cha- which is based on, which chapter five is based on, because in that chapter, you tease out these um, concurrent processes of mobility that accompany and often give way to religious mobility itself, such as mobility within kinship networks, mobility within educational structures and systems and geographic spaces, um, rural urban and other kinds of mobility. Um, And these mobilities, you tell us, often operate within a single temporal frame, um, leading to synchronic mobility. Um, And I was particularly interested in the transgressiveness of religious mobility that you trace, um, and how conversion, so to speak, or um, even if you have to move past that con move past that concept, think of uh, religious mobility in cases that involve a rupturing or a compromising of one's pre-existing social kinship and um, social ties, for instance. Um, and that there is this element of transgressiveness that sometimes is involved um, in. The whole religious mobility um, process, and I was wondering if you could tell us more about um, specifically the motivations and the three kinds of logics that you outline that underpin people's religious mobility, especially when they have to navigate the the transgressive or the religious tensions that sometimes emerge as people move, because mobility, I suppose, is also not always a smooth process. It involves these bumps, these everyday pragmatic choices and, and tensions that people have to navigate because of what's associated with each of these things that they move between. And so I was wondering if you could tell us more about you know these um these um, transgressive and but also concurrent religious processes that are at play when people move between uh, traditions and practices and ways of life. Yes, thank you. Thank you
1: very much for your question. I think you you raise a very important uh, point here, uh, because as you say, the Religious mobility is not always a smooth process. Um, it also has it might it might have consequences and sometimes severe consequences for the people who who practice it. So one could ask: uh, So why are the people uh, mobile if it has severe consequences, negative consequences for them? So in order to uh, to answer that that question um, from the the context, the Ghanaian context which I studied. Um, for this, um, for the this book, um, I would like to to say that mobility. It's important to conceive mobility um, that it always goes hand in hand with with space. So if you think about mobility, you have all to to think about space. So in in our perspective, in our book, we conceptualized space as it could be neighborliness or a place like Yvon developed just before, but it, the, the religious space, we conceptualized it as, as religious territories. So religious territories uh, might be denominations or religions or whatever. Um, uh, so this is the, the um, how we conceptualize this space. And it's important to, to say that these religious territories, they, they are very, they have... Um, their intrinsic characteristics, I could say. So some religious territories might be very porous in the sense that you could visit easily or or belong to this territory and visit another religious um, congregation. And that wouldn't be a problem for anyone. So these religious territories would be very uh, tolerant towards religious mobility, if you like. And this is not only a question about uh, the religious territories it's also uh, the question about the the family the the kinship uh, which is uh, the whole kinship that is some uh, very often actually involved uh, in and um, and um, evoked when when the interviewees um, when the respondents uh, talked about their religious mobility so to give an example from Ghana I remember uh, there was a um respondent who who said to me um he had five children and he said to me um well if you like fufu uh, fufu is a um, traditional meal in ghana so if you like fufu you cannot force your children to like fufu as well and by that he meant that um the um, religious belonging is a very is a question of choice and you cannot force this um and force your children to have the same religious affiliation as yourself, and his um, his family was very illustrative of that because he had five children and each child had been baptized in another church, so that was a very good illustration of this tolerance that you find. But other um, families, and also this is often related to religious territories themselves, um, so these religious territories might also be much more. Hermetic or, or have uh, or discourage a religious mobility, um, and that goes hand in hand with strong norms um, that would prohibit mobility, or often more social control to prevent mobility. So in these cases, um, it's it's much more tricky for the for the um, for the people to be mobile. But what I observed, and this was definitely. Uh, surprise for me is that even in those uh, religious, starting from these religious territories, um, I observe that people are mobile um, under some circumstances. Um, so the question is, what, in which, under what circumstances are they uh, mobile? Do they go to other congregations, even if their their um, their church or their uh, congregation is very strict about not going to Another another place, another religious place. So this happens mostly when there are conflicting social norms and conflicting expectations. So uh, religious norms conflict with other norms or other expectations that might be related to um, moral uh, moral questions, to uh, kinship. To whatever, so d- depending on the situation, so um, the practitioners might might uh, choose to be mobile uh, because they think that it's the right thing to do in that very specific situation. Though they will have to to pay the price for it, if you like. Uh, and as you said, um, Irene, um, that 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 might involve rupture or. Uh, rupturing or compromising one's pre-existing social or and kinship ties, and this is definitely a moral and social burden that 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 goes hand in hand with with this choice. But um, I I was very surprised to to um, observe that this is a still um, a practice which is quite common. If you look at the life trajectories of the of their respondents
0: um, i had in ghana oh thank you john for for that uh, ex- extensive answer and it really helps us put into perspective on what was going on in 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 the case of ghana as well and um If we can shift now to our kind of final uh, case study in chapter six, that is, um, we now move from where we've been looking the global south to now the global north, uh, specifically the nation of Switzerland. Um, And Switzerland is where our authors had lived for several years. Uh, So there is already this sense of familiarity uh, regarding the context yet. I noticed here it is also where um, you were asking different kind of questions in conducting your research, more, let's say, fundamental questions such as, you know, what is religion? And we see those living in Switzerland being confronted by a different array of tension and dynamics, such as a strong pushback against um, institutionalized religion and then those that were living in Kenya or Brazil. Uh, that we have seen in the previous uh, case studies, and it is in this chapter um, uh, you build on the work of Jörg Jörg, um, Stotz and his team from the University of Lausanne um, by utilizing the general categories of first institutionalists, second distant, third seculars, and fourth alternatives um, for your own work as well. I was wondering, um, Yvonne and John, if you could both talk more about these categories, um, how you were able to apply them in your own research. I know I I still distinctly remember in the beginning of this chapter, you, you describe, you go in depth to um, understanding these categories, explaining these categories. And um, I was wondering if you... Um, were able to talk about how you apply them in your own research in identifying religious mobility, the mobile Swiss bootneurs, if I may say it that way. Um, and what were some of the similarities or differences you were able to locate um, to their counterparts, their Brazilian or Kenyan uh, counterparts? And if I may uh, direct the, this, uh, the first answer, if John, if you could, um, if you don't mind answering uh, first.
1: Sure. Thank you for your question. Um, so the, about these uh, four categories, um, I would like to briefly um, um, explain them. So the first category is the institutionalist. So they are people, they refer to people with a strong attachment to their congregation, uh, mostly Christian and who have a regular uh, religious practice within this uh, Congre- congregation. The second category is the category of the distance. They are um, they be- also belong to a denomination, yet they are not regular practitioners. So they have more. Uh, they are more distanced, distance, as the name says. Um, the third category would would refer to seculars. Um, those have left denominational ties, and um, in some cases they may even strongly oppose them. So they are more critical towards uh, religion in general, I would say. Um, and the fourth category, the alternatives, they uh, like to borrow from different religious traditions, religious traditions and combine uh, these different elements. So like a la carte, like um, uh, it was also co- conceptualized in, in sociology, of re- French sociology of religion. Um, so about the similarities, um, and differences uh, between Switzerland and other fields like Ghana would say, or or, or the other fields. Um, I think one similarity is that I was also surprised that actually, if you really look at religious mobility, it is there as well in Switzerland, it is, it is, It it is uh, like in other fields, there's a lot of mobility, actually. That was maybe a surprise uh, for me. But one difference, um, one major difference is that surely at large, uh, religion plays a less significant role in people's life. Um, If you look at the broader picture, so it's less important to define, for the people to define themselves, to shape their relationships with uh, with other people. And in general, I would say there's more mistrust towards, uh, especially dogmatic aspects of religion, uh, which might be associated with violence, which, which was a, um, something which was very present, I think, on the Swiss field. As for me, maybe Yvonne wants to add some elements.
4: Well, yes, with pleasure. I think we, we used um, Jörg Stolz's uh, categories to, to set the context of um, the Swiss uh, religious practices because uh, eh, we considered it very different from uh, the ones the one in Brazil or in Kenya or in Ghana especially the like Jeanne said the um, uh, the consideration about religion you know if, if you um, when you meet somebody in in Nairobi uh, one of the first question is are you born again or uh, what is your religion or do, where do you go, uh, which is your church, etc. If you ask such a question to a Swiss person when you first meet him or her, well, it, they, it, that would be considered a, a kind of um, uh, invasion of her uh, privacy. And it, it, it is very unpolite when at the opposite in Kenya, it is unpolite not to ask and not to share about your religious practices and i think this is a, a very different way of uh, practicing religion or spiri- spirituality and and for for the swiss uh, the consideration about religion was was uh, very intimate it was very private and even within the, the within the family people the children were not uh, speaking about religion uh, with their parents and when uh, we started asking questions about that, about religion, to the Swiss people, they were really surprised. And uh, but after some minutes, it was okay. They, they were speaking about it because uh, they, we we had we had explained what was our aim. But um, I think this uh, consideration about intimacy and privacy. Uh, when uh, it is very uh, obvious, very expressive in in Kenya or in Brazil, this was one of the main differences, I would say. And also what Jan highlighted uh, about the, um, uh, the religious person in Switzerland, if you practice too much, you are considered suspicious. I mean, you you could be a dogmatic or a fundamentalist or uh, there is something wrong with you. When in Kenya, it is exactly the opposite again. If you don't practice, you are very suspicious. You could be a devil worshiper or you could be somebody, a witch, uh, witch doctor or whatever. And I think this highlight also how, uh, well, the, the difference or the distinction between the legitimate forms of uh, the legitimate forms of religion and the illegitimate. In Switzerland, if you practice too much, this is illegitimate somehow. And, but in Ghana, it is the opposite.
3: Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Jean and Yvonne. And it, you know, it, because even if you have to go with the global north, global south dichotomy, as flawed as it is, it, you know, even within the global north, comparing the Swiss case to what we see, for instance, Um, in the United States with white Christian nationalism. I think there are some very interesting, um, you know, conversations that could be had, you know, in comparing these case studies. Yeah, Um, and so I think I'll move now to chapter seven and I'm gonna direct this next question to Jonathan. because in chapter seven, you develop the metaphor of butanage further by proposing this tripartite ideal topology of um, religious butanors, if you have to go with that, which is the monofloral butanor, who is an exclusive member of a single church. Um, then you have the polyfloral butanor, who incessantly moves between different religious traditions, practices, and ways of life. And then you have the monochrome Brutunur whose flexible religious practices fall between these two um, poles, so to speak, um, and um, who is neither this, the monochrome Brutunur is neither a member or an exclusive member of a single church, so to speak, nor is this um, this um, ideal type figure, um, one who moves incessantly between different churches and traditions and ways of life. And in specific, in discussing these three ideal types, you discuss the territories between these religious traditions and practices and how people define these um, and negotiate these territories and practices as, as they move between them. And so I was wondering if you could expound on this concept of territory and why it, it matters um, here to think about, you know, it's, it's not just this kind of movement across, you know, empty space, but rather there is this concept of territory as fluid as it is that you, that you invoke in this chapter. And I was wondering if you could tell us more about it, particularly as it relates to, you know, monofloral and polofloral and monochrome practices.
2: Thank you, Irene. The, the topic of territories has already uh, been broached uh, somewhat. Uh, Jean was uh, mentioning it. Um, and uh, and I'm glad that uh, we've, uh, we've we've come to, to that and I think it this is a major um, theme within the book I think it's essential for, for understanding um, what we are uh, trying to to achieve and one of the things to, to mention uh, with regard to territories um, as to um, all the things that we are, the concepts that we are exploring here is that we are considering um, three kind of, um, the, 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 the intersection of essentially three directions, right? There's the personal um the, the the personal considerations, there's the institutional considerations, and then there's the uh cultural uh, normative considerations what we've just uh, Ivan was just comparing between uh, Kenya and Switzerland, for example, right, very different norms of how how one should carry themselves uh, religiously. And this is why we also, so it's important to recognize when we talk about a territory that it is at the end of the day, um an ever unique, Set up, right? This is not just uh, kind of the institutional division between, say, Christianity and Islam, or Pentecostalized churches and um, and, and non-Pentecostal churches, right? This is this is a lot more uh, personal, and it's something that we can um, chart together uh, with the person. Um, so it's it's, it's it's clear that there are different groups and different individuals who would have quite different conceptions of borders and their porousness. And so the ideal types that we are charting is a kind of an our attempt to push the metaphor um, and, and see how far we can uh, go with it, right? Um, but essentially it is about um, how people uh, conceive of, the space of legitimate uh, mobility. And that space of legitimate legitimate mobility is part of the explanation how people are mobile. Because as Ivan and I talk about in an article that we, we published on, on, on territory, uh, I think two years ago, three years ago, um, for w- when you are mobile within the territory, you might think of it as no mobility at all, right? Because you are working, you are operating within the same paradigm. Uh, You can say that um, you know some people in Kenya would say, "I would go to any church uh, where uh, people are born again." Another would um, take a much broader vision and perhaps would um, 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 have a kind of more, um, I don't know, monotheistic uh, view of what is considered a legitimate uh, religious practice. Um, et cetera, et cetera, there there are various um, orientations. And indeed, when we started mapping out individual interviewees, uh, religious biographies, um, then you can really see that even people who are highly mobile, they operate within a a certain universe, right? For example, the Pentecostal universe, uh, in in the case of Kenya, where I conducted um, my research. I think that that's it for, for now with regard to this. I if you like, I, I can also say something about logics, because I, I think Irene, you also mentioned that at some point, and I, I think maybe the concept should be explained. Is that
3: yeah, yeah, that all right? please, please go ahead.
2: Okay, because it's also in this chapter that we talk about logic, so so maybe it makes sense to briefly mention so because this is another related topic that we've um grappled with a lot, right? The question of uh, essentially, the question of uh, motivation, um, and it's a big issue. Um, it's it's a it's it's a hole that I fell into time and time and time again when I was writing, especially when I was writing my PhD on on religious mobility. Right, why people are doing the thing that you do that they're doing. I mean, it, it's something that you kind of feel like you you an answer that you have to uh, provide and it's very difficult of course right we we know that people have a tendency to rewrite their histories ex post facto, especially when it comes to uh, religious matters. So, you know, it's, it's, it's we have a tendency to kind of justify the practices, uh, the, our present practices, and, 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 uh, and, 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 you, and see our past in light of, of, of that. So the, the, the real issues with uh, deciphering uh, motivation. So instead, we talk about logics. We have three of them, practical, social, and inclinational. So the, the, the practical relates to concrete needs, for example, healing. Again, in, in Kenya, I've seen a lot of uh, that, the pursuit of prosperity, pursuit of blessings. Um, social logic is related to uh, what's been discussed, for example, in, uh, mainly in the chapter on, um, on, on, uh, on Brazil. Uh, Ivan was talking about this. Social relations, uh, voisinage, right? Social uh, um, uh, neighborly uh, ties. Um an inclination logic is essentially that those other considerations that cannot be reduced to the, to the other two. So, uh, you know, going to a church where I'm familiar or where I feel spiritually nourished or where I feel good or just a, a, an entertaining pastime that, that, that I've been establishing for myself. And one of the implications of these three logics, this three logics approaches, is, is, is that we avoid a kind of a straightforward association of religious mobility with any kind of uh, clear-cut utility, right? Or personal uh, gain seeking. We, we wanted to see how we can kind of suspend that kind of immediate tendency that we have to think about mobility in terms of trying to get something, right? We, we just try to show how when someone is mobile, we can tackle th- that um, um, action uh, that movement from all these three angles. And then we can think about the trade-off that sometimes it often happens, right? Between those three uh, elements. Um, so if if a person um, would ignore social expectations by being too mobile, for example, right? What we're talking about, um, then then they do that at their own peril, right? They might have practical gains uh, associated with mobility, but there might be um, penalties that are social uh, that that are offset by that. Hence um, the question of too much mobility. I think Ivan mentioned uh, that, right? What is too much mobility? What is is being too religious? What is being too zealous? Um, And and I think that paradigm could also um, help us to Uh, think of, uh,
0: to better understand
2: how people orient themselves vis-a-vis various religious uh, traditions and practices.
0: Oh, Thank you so much for that answer. Um, As we move now towards the uh, final section of the book, um, it kind of reminded me of my own studies, as I've learned from my professor, this um, various approaches to reading a book, and uh, a thing that I was reminded of was this this three-point system where um, uh, it identifies first, the problem, uh, second, the ideal, and third, the way forward. Um, I remember in the beginning of your book, you have helped me to locate the problem, the existing gaps in studying the religious identities. Um, through our author's critical insights, uh, you have all shed light on the ideal. You have helped me to envision Um, a more ideal way to address these issues by introducing notions of such as religious mobility, Boutinage, territories, and, and so forth. And you have backed this up so well with the concrete case studies uh, in looking at the four nations. And it is in now in the uh, chapter eight titled From Religious Mobility to Dynamic Religious Identity. You have all presented this, um, this way forward, uh, which addresses the question, where do we go from here? Um, And um, it is here in this very chapter that you formulate a model uh, that encompasses your findings, a model um, that can be both precise and flexible, uh, both actor-based and aware of institutional structures and the social norms. And it is here um, you also present the religious repertoires model uh, that maps the practitioner's religious identity according to actual practice. Here, I would like to open up our next question to all our authors uh, to, in a way, showcase the religious repertoires model that you have humbly deemed, quote, a starting point, a conceptual experimentation, end quote in which more will hopefully participate in utilizing and building up uh, this model. So, uh, Yonatan, as you were the earliest in constructing the foundation of this religious repertoire model, I was wondering if we can begin with you, if you could, you know, highlight some of the key aspects of this model, um, maybe touch upon the notion of the familiar. I think we mentioned that in the beginning of our interview, uh, the term repertoire as well. Um, then it would be wonderful if Jean and Yvonne uh, could also chime in in helping us better understand uh, this model as well. So, Yonata, would you like to begin? Yes, uh, th- thank you. Um,
2: so, th- the repertoire model emerges for my doctoral thesis uh, on urban Christianity in Kenya, um, and uh, is also elaborated in in, in my monograph uh, on on the subject. and uh, one observation that contributed a lot to a lot to uh, developing this model is the preoccupation that so many Kenyans have with questions of religious um, um, trust and hypocrisy. So when I started visiting churches or interviewing people uh, asking for the religious biographies, you hear a lot of uh, claims that um, people are uh, that, that pastors nowadays, uh, are preaching water and drink wine right or that religion has become just like a business these, these kind of things so that all you need to be to to have in order to become a pastor nowadays in kenya is a bible and a suit meaning that you know anyone could start in a kind of a um, essentially a money-making uh, performative uh, venture right so and 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 that is a real distress that a lot of people are expressing through uh, these claims because religion, of course, is supposed to be a haven of of trust. Um, And that question of trust, where do we go? And and what is, um, um, where will we feel safe? That stretches to questions about familiarity, right? What do we know? what worked for us before doesn't doesn't mean the same the same thing, right? Trust and familiarity, but they are but but they belong to the same uh, uh kind of uh discursive field um and
3: it,
2: it, it seemed to me, the more I was talking to people, that there's something transformative and oftentimes reassuring about familiarity in the prospect of uh, reactivating something that has worked, something that is familiar, something that, you know, that where you know the people, where you've been before, you know for sure that there's uh, no issues uh, of, of, of trust or possibly uh, kind of, you um, Wrongful uh, spiritual teaching teachings uh, that may lead lead you astray, um, because there is a lot of the debate about uh, sects that are emerging. Um, and the second thing that came up and is linked to uh, um, that I wanted to kind of that, that came together in the repertoire model is what we've already discussed, and that's the um, the, the, the fact of return mobility. I saw a lot of that, and. Is a, is a pretty common practice. And the question was, how do we capture um, those kind of, you know, go beyond the presentist, um, um, a presentist model to, 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 to think about, you know, to include all those things that people have practiced before uh, in our familiar yet presently unpracticed, right? As a, as a category that is substantively different from that, which is simply unfamiliar to us. So bringing these kind of two observations together, a major challenge for me um, and and for my team, as we were thinking, uh, for our team, as we were thinking about this together, um, and was how to create something that might look like a model, but could still capture religious identity as dynamic and unique. Hence all the kind of playful terminologies that we are elaborating, right? It's almost a kind of a, 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 a paradox somehow, right? How do we talk about mobility and try to say something meaningful and even, uh, you know, God forbid, uh, create a model to work through, but, um, but, but without closing, you um, um, and doing the same thing that we are criticizing, for example, when we, talk, when we criticize the notion of conversion, right? So how do we keep it still open? How could it be, we create something that is useful, but could still be conjugated in all sorts of ways. Um, so I, I hope that I've succeeded in, 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 with this model uh, to um, draw in kind of, what, what I've done is to create a kind of, to, to imagine an invisible familiarity threshold, right? Um, that distinguishes between the familiar and the unfamiliar. And then what we have, we add to this the distinction that uh, we have drawn between the me- between membership and, and, and visits, right? So we have a, this hierarchy between a single pivot of practice and various peripheral practices. And then to that, we add that which is familiar yet presently unpracticed and that which is simply unfamiliar. So essentially, we have four categories of traditions within one's cumulative religious identity that we think about through the uh, uh, prism of uh, repertoires. I I hope this makes
0: sense. Thank you. Thank you for that thorough answer. Uh, John, would you like to um, add uh, to anything Jonathan had?
1: Oh, I think... um... It was very comprehensive. Um, I have not much to add to what Jonathan said. Maybe just to to insist on that point, that familiarity uh, is, is the key, one key element here, I think, because familiarity doesn't disappear. A uh, practice can change, but familiarity uh, remains. And that's one key point, just to rephrase it from what Jonathan said. Uh, maybe Yvonne, do you want to add something? <sighs>
3: Thank you so much, everyone, for such a stimulating um, discussion. And before we you know, com- come to a complete close and we wrap up, there's just two final questions I'd like to you know, ask you, which is, firstly, what do you hope scholars working on religion and mobility more broadly, um, what do you hope that they'll perhaps take from your book, and what new directions of research would you say your work is pointing us to, and that you know you um, did you think that, you know, based on your survey of, of what's, what's, you know, what's been done so far, you know, what are new potential directions that, you know, your, your monograph and your, your innovation, innovations and contributions are seeking to make? And um, Jean, would you like to start us off? Um, yes uh, of course with pleasure um,
1: I will try to formulate it uh, very briefly. I think that one one hope is that it might invite scholars to to make a shift in their perspective uh, religious scholars so so that instead of studying one uh, religious tradition, uh, I mean, I did that too, I studied uh, Pentecostalism, African Pentecostalism in transnational context. And that was uh, really the focus which I, which I had. But I think it's also very interesting to study mobility across religious traditions and uh, to be interested in what people really do, uh, the real practice in terms of religious mobility. And I think that would help, um gazing beyond the narrative of exclusive religious identities and belongings
3: so that might be one one hope that i have thank you and Ivan, would you like to um add anything
4: well i think first um, uh, one of the the goal of this book was to insist on the religious practices not only the discourse and to compare what people are doing with 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 what they are saying and I think this is uh, it's quite basic but too often we focus on discourses and we believe them we just have to observe and to participate with the people and when they are practicing religion in a way I would say and I think an, another point which is important is not to uh, to project a kind of a theological coherence on the our interlocutors on our respondents. Uh, we have to allow them to be incoherent. And I think we are all incoherent from time to time. And I think this is one of the results also of this of our research. And the last point maybe is to to quit the bias of sedentarity, to quit uh, the, the consideration that uh, you have uh, immobility is better than mobility. I think mobility is uh, the, the rule of life and immobility is an exception. Let's hope this could open new horizons or new ideas for other colleagues of us
2: maybe i would uh, chime in and and add it well first of all as a as a a pretty mobile person myself i could definitely uh relate and i'm i'm sure many many others as well um and i I agree i mean what ivan said about uh the legitimacy to to be incoherent is something that i appreciate very much um some, some I think you know one of the authors that inspired our work a lot is uh, Janet McIntosh and her notion of polyontology, right? And um, kind of a, in a way, we are continuing along this this path of um, of going beyond a, a kind of a, 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 a unitary um, um, coherent um, a, idea of of uh, of, of people's uh, religious uh, decision making. Right. Um, I also agree, I think, uh, with, with uh, what's what my colleagues have, have said. I think one of the main lessons uh, f- from this uh, project is to um, to think about the, the shared humanity or humanness of mobility and to uh, kind of to contribute at least a little bit to the destigmatization de- of, uh, of mobility. Um, I really think that it really underlies uh, a a human experience. And uh, um, yeah, so I think that that is it mainly.
0: Well, thank you all so much uh, for your contributions to through this book. I've personally learned so much. Um, and as we now uh, conclude today's interview, there is one final question we would like to ask before we let you go. And that is, we would love to hear if you wouldn't mind sharing about your current and future projects and what you hope to work on. So if I may first direct the question to Yvonne, would you like to share with us about your current future projects and, again, what you hope to work on?
4: Oh, it's pleasure. Uh, Well, I'm currently working on self-accomplishment in East Africa, also with Jonathan and a team of scholars. I mean, uh, we are trying to understand how to become a good person, and especially for the youth because in fact, uh, they, they encounter a lot of problem when growing up on, to become an adult because they should be married and it's very expensive. They have to get a job, etc etc And then there is a kind of crisis of self, self-accomplishment, uh, which is uh, captured by the notion of weighthood, which was uh, used in the anthropological liter- literature to, to explain that the youth cannot become an adult anymore. Uh, as the traditional adult. Then we are looking for a new form of becoming an adult, becoming a good person, a good woman, a good man. That's uh, what we are currently, w- what I cr- I am currently working on. And um, I'm uh, also with Jonathan once again. Uh, we do not change a winning team, but I mean, uh, we are currently um resubmitting a research project on uh, the new family configurations in East Africa, which is linked to the question of weighthood and self-accomplishment and the problem uh, the youth encounter. I think that's enough for now.
0: Thank you. Um, Jonathan, would you like to go next?
4: Yes, so um,
2: <laughs> indeed you do not change a winning team and uh, I've, I've uh, continued uh, with great pleasure to work with both Ivan and uh, uh, Jeanne. Um, and uh, I would just add to what I- Ivan said that uh, indeed in our project on self-accomplishment, uh, we also consider religion as uh, one of the paths uh, towards uh, self-accomplishment, for example, converting to uh, Pentecostalism and then and, and perhaps there's a turn away from the so-called pagan practice of uh, paying right price, and uh, maybe the church could uh, also uh, provide and and, and assist in, in finding a partner in in, in all these things. So, um, and and uh, um, so this is one of the things that we are uh, we have been looking at. Um, uh, however as one has to establish themselves as an individual scholar uh, outside <laughs> the, uh, uh, the the whatever the uh, the, the cover of uh, of one's uh, doctoral supervisor um, i have also uh, been um, uh, taking a path of my own i've been uh, uh, interested in uh, studying the Um, the material and immaterial remains of international development uh, projects, especially in East Africa, in in Kenya, in Tanzania and Mozambique, what I call the afterlives of international development. And and here too, there's uh, some interesting link to religion, for example, faith-based organizations and and their involvement or um, local perceptions of Uh, of of, of of spiritual powers and their engagement in uh, kind of the ultimate providers of development. Um, So that's something that uh, I've been uh, studying. And I uh, guess that it is okay also to use this platform to announce that just a few days ago, I was informed uh, that I was uh, granted um, an ERC, European Research Council uh, starting grant um, to study the subject of uh, afterlives. Uh, the project is called AFDEV Lives, the Afterlives of Development Interventions in East Afri- Eastern Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, and Mozambique. And uh, uh, yeah, the project will be uh, run from, uh, will be led from uh, um, uh, my university in uh, in Lisbon. And uh, stay tuned.
0: <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing us with, the, with your work and also that great news. Once again, congratulations, uh, Yanatan. And the last Not least, uh, John, would you like to also share uh, your current and future projects and what you hope to work on?
1: Uh, Yes, sure. So I have um, um, many projects. Actually, Um, I I currently um, I teach and I conduct research now at the University of Teacher Education. So I reoriented my research uh, interests um, towards educational issues, and in that context, I uh, I have several projects that that um, articulate with mobility and migration in educational contexts. So for example, um, what I certainly uh, want to do is to further uh, question this assumption of sedentarity, which was um, mentioned by Yvonne just before uh, in the context of, of schools because uh, schools are places that, that have a strong uh, uh, strongly carry this assumption and I would like to question what are the implications of these assumptions for the Mobile children, for example, that's one uh, important research project which I'm working on uh, right now. And um, but in relation to the to the book we just presented, I would like to to mention another project which might um, might be uh, developed. Uh, in the near future. Um, and that would be to work on the implications of the concept of uh, butinage and religious mobility uh, for teaching religion in, uh, in schools. Because um, well, in the Swiss context, for example, um, religion is a subject which is uh, a taught uh, in schools. And I would like to further um, develop these, um, these um, uh, implications and t- think about these implications for teaching. So, thank you for your question.
3: Oh, that just sounds so fascinating. So many cool and um, fascinating projects that um, at least, you know, both of us, I'm sure our audience will really be looking forward to and being, we'll, we'll be staying tuned to hear more about it and to, to read more about your work um but once again thank you so much um Ivan, jonathan and Jean for for being on the podcast today and thank you everyone so much for listening to today's episode in which we explored the new monograph Purinage the art of religious mobility published by jonathan Guez, Ivan droz and jian ray um and Edio suarez and published by the university of toronto press in 2021 um, yeah, this is your host, Irene Pramod
0: and Byungho Choi.
3: And stay tuned for the next episode on new books on religion.